<laughs> Joshua chapter two, a prostitute, a harlot, we find in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Amazing, especially from a Jewish perspective, because Jewish men, some of them would pray, they had a real demeaning view, the wrong view of women, and they would pray, God, thank you for not making me a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. And that's not in any way a joke, and it really does show their view and their value of women, but the reason that I bring that up is because you wouldn't find women listed in Jewish genealogies. But that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus has three women that are listed in his genealogy, and one of them is Rahab, who's a Canaanite harlot. That would just blow the mind of a Jew is reading the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Why is a woman in his genealogy, but also why is it a Canaanite who was a harlot? And it shows God's grace that he redeems us, he rescues us by his grace. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, this is where we find Rahab's name. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And so Rahab, as she's rescued out of this lifestyle, she ends up marrying Salmon, and they have Boaz. Now, if you're a student of the scripture, this name Boaz probably rings a bell because Boaz marries who? Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth, they have Obed. And Obed, they beget Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David, and we know that David is the line of Jesus Christ. So amazing that this harlot, her name is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, but also Rahab's name is in the hall of faith. The hall of faith is Hebrews 11, where God commends people for their faith. Some names that aren't there are Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, Elisha, but we do find Rahab's name listed there. So this woman has great esteem in God's eyes. Also, James chapter 2, we find that Rahab is an example of real and genuine faith that is lived out. As we go through this chapter this morning, it's my prayer, intent, desire that we would rejoice and experience God's grace. That this isn't just a historical study of God's grace, but it's a reminder in our lives that God is gracious and to really receive it and rejoice in it. So let's begin in verse one. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Achaia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Remember, this is during the 72-hour pause where Joshua said, in 72 hours, we're going to cross over the Jordan River. During this time period, then he sends these two spies in. I think that these men were very selectively chosen because Joshua knew what happened prior when 12 spies were sent in. They were a part of that 12, Joshua and Caleb. They're the only ones that came back with a godly perspective. And unfortunately, the majority listened to those 10 spies. So he only sends two spies, and they're chosen to go in. Now, if you're kind of fascinated with Secret Service stuff, this is kind of where it all began. I mean, these guys are like double O Joshua right here. And they're going in, they're going to go secretly, and they're going to spy out the land. And Joshua says, I want you to especially look at Jericho. 
Now, Jericho is a fortified city. We'll talk about more of the details of the city in further studies. The city of Jericho is known as the city of palms. And to this day, if you go to Jericho and see the ruins of the ancient city of Jericho, there are these palm trees that are being grown and dates that fall off of the palm trees. It's something that Israel exports. But there's a reason that Joshua wants to go to Jericho first. Because if you look at a map of Israel you find that that Jericho from north to south is about in the center. It's not in the center from east to west, but from north to south it is. And if Jericho is defeated, then the whole country of Canaan is crippled. Because if you come from the south, then that would give opportunity to to them to form defense. So Joshua is being very strategic in wanting to know about Jericho. Now what's up with these two guys going to a prostitute's house? You're like, Eric, I thought that you told me that they were men of character, that they were godly men and they were chosen because of their character. Why would they go to a prostitute's house? I think that this is the ultimate cover for them because what would foreign men do as they come into Jericho? It would not be uncommon for them to go and visit a prostitute. So these guys would fit right in. It wouldn't draw any attention to them for them to go to the house of a prostitute. There's nothing here that shows that they were acting in an immoral way, that there was any kind of sexual sin that was taking place. But what we do find is, is God's doing a work. That this isn't happen chance, that God's going to rescue Rahab out of this lifestyle. Now church, Rocky Mountain Calvary gang, do you think that any gals grow up thinking, I want to be a prostitute when I grow up? I want to sell myself over and over, day after day. This is a desperate condition for Rahab. We don't know the story behind her life, but I'm sure that there was many things that led up to this point that ultimately caused her to go into prostitution, to have her financial needs, her economic needs met in this way. And God sees the depravity and sees the condition that she's in, is preparing her heart and she's going to be rescued by God's grace. So verse 2, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So their cover is blown. The king of Jericho knows that they have come into Jericho and specifically into Rahab's home. Verse 3, So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the countries. says, bring them out. We've got these spies that are in your house. Now what Rahab does from verse 4 to verse 7 is she risks it all by faith. She rescues, she saves these two spies. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men have come to me, but I don't know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out Where they went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the forts. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. In these ancient cities, you would have these huge walls with one gate. And this gate was strategic to you knew who was coming in and out of the city. You would close the gate at night and also any time that you were being attacked. So Rahab says, oh, sorry, you just missed them. 
They did come to my house. I didn't know where they were from. So go out and you might be able to catch them. Meanwhile, she'd taken them to the roof and you'd have a flat roof where you would take your flax or your wheat and set it out for it to dry. And then she hid these two men underneath the flax. Why in the world would she do this? I mean, she's risking everything. This is the enemy that's coming into Jericho to destroy and kill everybody inside of Jericho. The reason that she does it is because of faith. There was something stirring inside of her heart and her life where she wanted to change. She knew that the one true God was working. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So if we want to understand this section about Rahab, we look up the other sections in Scripture that talk about Rahab. In Hebrews 11, verse 31, it says this, By faith the harlot Rahab didn't perish with those who didn't believe when she received the spies with peace. It says by faith. The reason that she received the spies and rescued the spies is because of her faith in God. And she takes her faith and she puts it into action. We have something in common with Rahab. And it's this, that we're under a death sentence. We, like Rahab, were sinners. And God justly comes and puts a death sentence upon us that if we don't receive Christ and his sacrifice for our sins... God is being just and punishing for us our sins, an eternal separation from God for our sins. Rahab understood this, and she knew that something was taking place, and God begins working in her heart, and she takes that step of faith. Maybe you came in today, and it's really unique because it is Mother's Day, and it's really bizarre that this is the Mother's Day message, but you found yourself in a similar place to Rahab. You're in a lifestyle of sin. You got caught up in it. One thing led to another, but here you are this morning and you're thinking, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be in this sin. I don't want my lifestyle to continue in this way. I want to go out touched and changed. Well, good news. Take a step of faith. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Risk it. It may mean that you lose relationships, friendships, with family. It may be that your livelihood, how you make a living has to change because you know you make your livelihood through sin. Just like Rahab makes her livelihood through sin and God's touching your heart and doing a, a work. And Rahab, she caught that and she takes a step of faith and she rescues the spies. And Hebrews 11 commends her for her faith in doing this. But now there's this conversation that happens with Rahab and the two spies. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. Before they fell asleep, she comes up for this conversation and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. She recognizes the hand of God. Isn't this radical? Here you have this prostitute who's in this desperate condition, But she sees the hand of God. She says, I know God, the Lord, the one true living God. He's in your midst and he's working. And our hearts are faint-hearted. Our hearts are at a place of terror. This is a lesson for us. Maybe write this down, jot it down, put it in your heart and your mind. If God is stirring you to take a, a step of faith, which I believe that he is, and that's why we're studying the book of Joshua, because God wants us to take steps of faith, we need to understand if he's leading us, then he's gone before us. 
and he's prepared hearts. He's already prepared the hearts of the Canaanites. They're already in a place of defeat. As we pray together for this Wednesday outreach, and please dedicate some time to prayer and fasting for Wednesday night. Maybe the Lord's put somebody on your heart to invite, and we're nervous and we're scared about approaching them to come to this outreach. We've got to believe that God's already preparing their heart. Maybe some of you couples are praying about having kids, and you know that the Lord is calling you to that. You've got to trust that the Lord's ahead of you, already making provision for that. Maybe some of you are considering getting married, you know, you're at that point and God's put an amazing godly person in your life and fear is overtaking you. You've got to trust that God's in front of you. He's already doing that work. All kinds of different steps of faith, but how encouraging this would have been for the two spies, ultimately for Joshua and the whole multitude, that their hearts were already in a place of fear. When did the fear come upon the Canaanites? In verse 10, For we had heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, who were utterly destroyed. When the Red Sea parted and they walked across out of Egypt on dry ground, when Pharaoh and his army was destroyed as they chased the children of Israel through this pathway in the sea, then God collapsed the water upon them. That sent shockwaves into the hearts and the minds of the Canaanites. This was 40 years prior, 40 years prior that the Red Sea was parted, but yet their hearts were still in a place of fear and being faint-hearted. The first generation that came out of Egypt, this generation's parents Oh, how they missed out. They missed out incredibly. They came to the land and didn't believe that God was big enough to defeat the giants and the walled cities. They weren't willing to enter into the battles, but God had already done the work. If they would have just taken the step of faith, if they only knew how the hearts of the people were faint and the heart of the giants were faint. How about these two kings? Shihon and Og. That's a great name for a king. King Og, right? They were Amorite kings. And Moses made a request in Numbers 21. He said, hey, can, can we travel through your land? We won't take any of your resources, use any of your resources. We just want to go through your land. They say, no, absolutely not. You can't come through. Ultimately, they attack the children of Israel and they lose the battle. And this land from Numbers 32, we know, was going to the two and a half tribes that wanted to stay out of the promised land. And they'd heard of these victories and it had brought in fear into the hearts of the Canaanites. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did they remain any more courage in anyone because of you. So not only a faint heart and tear in their heart, but no strength, no courage, and their heart had just melted. God had truly gone before them. I can't mention that enough. Be encouraged. If God's calling you to a step of faith, he's already gone before you to prepare the way. To me, this is the key revelation in our text this morning. I have it underlined. If you're a Bible underliner, you may want to underline it. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth. Not only does Rahab recognize the hand of God, but she realizes who God is. She comes to the knowledge of God, that your God is the one true living God. He's God in heaven and he's God of earth. And she's living in a land that's just saturated with idolatry. 
completely saturated with idolatry. Maybe you've wrestled with why would God order for the Canaanites to be utterly destroyed? Some unbelievers maybe have come to you with this line, right? And says, if God's a God of love, how can he order the execution of the Canaanites? You ever heard that one, right? So what's the answer to that? Is it goes back to Genesis when God spoke to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you this land, but I'm giving time for the Canaanites to repent. It was 400 years that God gave them time to repent. He's long-suffering, to say the least. But they're living in idolatry even to the point where they're sacrificing their kids. And once again, it's in God's justice that he's bringing punishment upon sin. And we see that in ancient civilizations where they get to a certain point and ultimately God brings destruction upon that nation because they're self-destructing. And so she understands and she realizes what takes place. And she says, your God is the one true living God. Not any of these idols that we worship. Not any of these idols that we sacrifice our kids to. This gets me excited and touches me with the love of God. And this is the reason. Because I bet you there was a lot more moral people in Jericho than Rahab. But they didn't understand who God was. They didn't understand his grace. They didn't put their faith in the one true living God, and they perished. I'm sure there was some married couples in Jericho that were being faithful to each other. I'm sure there were ladies there in Jericho that weren't prostitutes, but guess what? They perished because they didn't understand the grace of God. And we serve a God that can save us from even the most miserable places of sin. Isn't that amazing? And it needs to be a reminder to us as a church family. Sometimes when we look at people, and we shouldn't size them up, but we do, and we try to monitor where their heart is, and we can wrongly look at someone's heart because of their lifestyle of sin and think, you know what? They'll never receive Christ. Their heart's too hard. They're a prostitute. They're a drug dealer. You know, the list goes on and on and on, and we go, there's no way. But it could be just this, that they're so sick of their sin that they're ready to receive Christ as their Savior. Who fell in love with Jesus Christ and appreciated his ministry? It was the prostitutes. It was the tax collectors. Because they realized that there was something wrong with their life, that they were messed up. And they needed Christ's forgiveness. And they needed Christ's transformation. So when we go out into our community and we see people who are in a lifestyle of sin, we need to see them as that they're ready for a savior. And they may just be at that place where they're sick of their sin. She comes to this place of the knowledge of who God is and transformation comes into her heart and into her life. And this conversation continues in verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I've shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house. And give me a true token. She gets it. She's saying, I want you to commit by the Lord. You guys are followers of the one true living God. So commit by him. Swear by the Lord. And spare my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all that they have. And deliver our lives from death. She's rescued the spies. And now she's asking that their lives will be rescued. So the men answered her, our lives for your lives. If none of you tell this business of ours... 
It shall be when the Lord has given us this land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. So they agree to what Rahab is asking. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, meaning she dwelt in the wall. The wall was wide enough, large enough that you could have a home inside of the wall. So she lets these guys down the window because the gates already closed. So they've got to escape another way. But there's a continued conversation that happens first. And she said to them, get to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. She knows the habit of the search party. They go out for three days. If they haven't found who they're looking for, then they're going to come on back. So you guys go and wait for 72 hours. Then you return home. Return back to the camp of Israel. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of cord in the window, this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household to your own home. Let me ask you a question. Is there any time in scripture where there's just coincidence or a detail that doesn't matter? Does every detail matter in scripture? Absolutely. Is there a reason that it's a red rope, that it's a scarlet rope? Absolutely. This rope is going to identify that this is Rahab's house, so they know who to save. But is there greater significance? And I suggest to you that the red points to the blood of Jesus. The ultimate source of God's grace is the blood of Jesus Christ that rescues us from our sin. There's an unfolding message in the Bible of the sacrifice that Christ would pay for our sin. And Hebrews 9, verse 22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. God is just like we talked about. So God can't just look at sin and go, oh, boys will be boys. That's what boys do. Oh, girls will be girls. That's what, what girls do. I, I forgive you. That wouldn't be just. There has to be a punishment for sin. Justice has to occur. So we find the first place of sin in Genesis with Adam and Eve. They sin against God. Here comes God to fellowship with them in the cool of the day. He says, where are you? Not an angry father, but a heartbroken father. Where are you? God knows exactly where they are. This is an opportunity for them to repent. And here come Adam and Eve. And what are they wearing? designer fig leaves, right? God's like, hey, what happened to your nakedness? Like prior to this, you were naked and you had no problem with it. There was no shame in your nakedness. It was a result of their sin. Now I haven't tried it and I don't plan to, but from what I read, fig leaves are not really great clothing. Itchy, uncomfortable. God may have been sick and tired of Adam and Eve for their sin, but he shows grace, doesn't he? And he covers them and gives them adequate clothing. He kills an animal, and from the skins of that animal, he clothes Adam and Eve. That's the first time we see death in the Bible. It was a result of sin. An innocent animal had to die in order to cover their sin. Couldn't take away their sin, only covered it. So we see this blood has to be shed in order for there to be grace and there to be forgiveness. We move forward into Genesis 22. You know the story probably. Abraham finally has his chosen son, Isaac. 
all this time of waiting, God speaks to him and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, go to a place that I'm going to show you, and sacrifice your son upon the altar. Abraham, I'm amazed at Abraham by this, is that he did it. He got up right away the next morning, takes his son, journeys out, and says, my son and I were going to worship, and we will return to you. First time worship's mentioned in the scripture. It gives us an idea of what worship's all about, to present everything into God's hands, to surrender the most valued thing to us, and put it in God's hands. Notice what Abraham said, though. He said, we will come back, but he knows he's going to have to sacrifice his son. Hebrews tells us he believed that God would raise his son from the dead if he had to sacrifice his son. So here he is, about ready to to sacrifice his son. And Isaac's a smart guy, smart young lad. And he's like, you know, uh, I kind of see the wood here and I see the altar, but where's the sacrifice? And dad kept looking at him weird. He's like, why are you looking at me weird? What's going to happen here? And ultimately, Isaac takes that place upon upon the altar, and there's a ram that's caught in the thicket, and God stops Abraham from sacrificing his son. Where did this take place? What was the place that God showed Abraham? It was Mount Moriah, which is this ridge in Jerusalem with the Temple Mount leading to Golgotha, the place where Christ was crucified. Abraham called this mountain, the Lord will provide. This is the very place where God provided. He shed his blood. Jesus died on the cross for us. Abraham in this moment said God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice, pointing to Jesus Christ. We go further on into the Old Testament and we find the children of Israel coming out of bondage. The last plague was Passover and God says, take a lamb, get your family together, kill this lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the door of your home and judgment will pass over. Again, pointing to Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain for our sin. When we apply it to the door of our heart, judgment passes over us. And then we go further into the law. And if you read the law, it's tedious, but it's worth doing. And you find sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice over sin. Difficult. I'm sure the family would bond a little lammy and then dad blows it. And has to take Lammy to the temple and sacrifice Lammy. And all the kids are like, Dad, where's Lammy? Oh, I sinned. I blew it. And we had to kill Lammy for my sin. Dad, why did you have to blow it? I mean, I loved Lammy. And here he is. And this happening over and over, this innocence slayed for, for sin. One day a year, the priest on the Day of Atonement would go in and make sacrifice for the whole nation entering into the presence of God and putting blood on the mercy seat. So we have this progressive revelation throughout scripture where you've got a sacrifice for a man, Isaac, the ram caught in the thicket. But then you have a sacrifice for a family, Passover. But then you have a sacrifice for a whole nation, the Day of Atonement. Then Jesus comes walking to John the Baptist at the Jordan River, and John cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus hangs upon the cross and cries out, It is finished. How can a just God save prostitutes? How can a a just God save a sinner like me? 
How can a just God take people who are filled with sin and continue to struggle with sin and give us heaven and make us joint heirs with Christ because Christ's blood was shed? And this red rope, this scarlet rope points to something greater, points to Jesus Christ. In the moment that Christ died, there was a great earthquake. The veil in the temple was torn to significant because this was the barrier from God's presence that the high priest could only come into God's presence once a year. And now God is saying, because of the blood of my son, it's open access to God's presence. Church, you can come into the throne room of God as much as you would like, live there, dwell there, be in fellowship with the Lord. Amazing. So here's Rahab, and she's putting out her token of God's grace. She's putting out something that points to a Messiah, a Savior that would come for us. How does she respond to this in the next few verses? So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and he will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so it be. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. We find an act of faith. We find a confession of faith from Rahab. But now we find commitment in faith. She hangs the scarlet cord. She gets her family together, says, we're staying in the house because judgment coming, everyone else is going to be destroyed. I think that this scarlet cord that she hung out of her window immediately was a reminder to her of God's love, of the one true living God, that her life had changed. Now, this is just conjecture. I, I can't prove it, but I think it does make sense in the passage. I don't think Rahab ever went back to being a prostitute. How could she? She's got this red rope hanging out of her window, reminding her that she's going to be saved. We do know, as the children of Israel came in and defeated Jericho, that she ended up becoming part of the nation of Israel, becoming a lover of the one true and living God. Do you have a scarlet rope? And what I mean by this is, do you have something that reminds you of God's love? Or you go, oh man, I know that God loves me. I know that God's bought me with a price. I'm not going back to my sinful life. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's this commitment of faith. So now the spies, they go back to Joshua. Then they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought all along the way, but didn't find them. So the men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came to Joshua. They crossed over the Jordan and told them all that had befallen them. What a great moment for these spies. Hey, Joshua, you're never going to believe it, but they're wetting their pants over there. (laughs) You know, they're going to need some depends. It all depends how it's going to work out, but they're going to need some because they're scared out of their minds. God's already given us the victory. They never use the details of the size of Jericho, how big the walls are, what the gates like, because God's got a different military strategy that we're going to see. God says, You just walk around the walls. And the last day, go around seven times and shout, and I'm going to collapse these walls. But what they needed to know was the condition of the hearts of the Canaanites that God had already brought about the victory. And this provided great strength for Joshua and the congregation of Israel. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered 
all the land into our hearts. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Church, this morning, the reminder, the understanding is God is greater than our sin. He's greater than our sin. Rahab was messed up. She was living a terrible life of complete desperation. Heartbreaking to think of her life being like it was. And God loves her, forgave her, lifted her out of that place, rescued her by his grace. We need those reminders as a church that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Rahab didn't work for it. She simply believed and acted out in that faith. And it's our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that he then brings his favor and grace and rescues us. And then we respond to that grace and we run after him. Jesus came to forgive us of our sins and he grants that to us, but he also came to set us free, to not continue in the lifestyle that we're in before we met Jesus Christ. He has the power to forgive us and he has the power to transform us. And what I desire and pray for in our church, that this would be a church that no matter where someone is coming from, we all are equal footing at the cross. Amen? Amen. So if a prostitute in our community comes in, she receives the grace of God the same way we all receive the grace of God. We're all sinners, and God loves everybody in our community. And we're seeing God do a radical work of, of saving sinners. But be reminded in your life, This isn't just someone else. This isn't just Rahab. This is me. This is you. This is us. We're sinful beyond hope, but God loves us and has forgiven us of all of our sin. And deep down inside of us, there's a little part that says, you know what? Well, I've got to earn it somehow. I've got to deserve it somehow. God really doesn't rescue this way in his grace. And no, it is the grace and the forgiveness of God found in the blood of Jesus Christ, found in the ultimate scarlet rope. And then it's our joy to respond to that. I don't think you had to try to coax Rahab after she came out of Jericho and saying, hey, don't go back to the Canaanites. Hey, don't go back to prostitution. She's like, this is great. I'm with the one true living God. I'm with the people who know the one true living God. Hey, tell me that part again about Moses and the burning bush. That's radical. We serve the great I am. Oh, that, that is neat. And all the things that she was learning and understanding about the one true living God. God's grace. And this morning as we close, is I know that God wants to bring salvation to hearts. That there's some as odd as it is on this Mother's Day that God brought you here and you can relate to Rahab. Maybe it is sexual sin. Maybe it is prostitution. Maybe it is your anger. Maybe it's a drug addiction. Maybe it's alcohol, but you know it. You know in your heart, I'm a sinner and I need the grace of God. And could anyone love me and forgive me of my sins? And hear this this morning is that Jesus loves you. He loves you specifically. He died for you upon the cross. That's why he went to the cross, to pay the price for your sins. And he's here. Even though you can't see him, he's here extending forgiveness to you. If you'll take that step of faith and turn away from your sin, acknowledge your sin and cry out, say, Jesus, save me and be the Lord of my life. I'm committing myself to follow you. 
Maybe it's not so much that you relate to Rahab in this sinful life, but you're sitting there pretty smug because you're going, ah, you know, I'm not so bad compared to Rahab. Well, those people perished. They perished because they didn't see their need for the grace of God. And we all need God's grace and forgiveness. If we take three swimmers and they're going to swim across the Pacific Ocean, one's an Olympic swimmer, one's a high school swimmer, one's a doggy paddle swimmer, okay? The doggy paddle swimmer doesn't make it very far, drowns in the Pacific Ocean. It's a sad story. It gets sadder because, well, the high school swimmer gets quite a bit farther, but still dies, drowns. The Olympic swimmer makes it even further, but still drowns. Do you get the point? We're all sinners. It doesn't matter if from a world's perspective, you're a little bit more moral than this person over here. It's equal footing at the cross. If you know Christ right now in this moment, would you begin to pray for those that don't know the Lord, that God would touch their hearts? Let's pray together.